Um, the psalm today is Psalm 127. This is a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is something you want to achieve in 2024? The start of a new year is often when we create goals around work, around our families and our lives. A new year means a clean slate, 12 whole months to achieve our goals, to cultivate new habits, to become a better version of ourselves. And it comes naturally as we reflect on the last year, right? As you look back on 2023, what stands out to you? Achievements you are proud of, a promotion at work, maybe milestones in your personal life, a new relationship, kids getting older, kicking fitness goals, or deepening your friendships. Maybe that's not the kind of year you had. Perhaps your mind dials in on the disappointments you experienced, frustrations at work, not getting the grades you wanted at school or uni, feeling stuck in your relationships, thinking about all the things you didn't get to do or the ways you weren't the best version of yourself. You might be asking yourself, how do I make this year count? And this isn't just a question we face at the start of the new year, but a question we ask over our, our entire lifetime. How do I live a life of meaning and purpose? How do I work towards building something that lasts? Today, we're gonna to be exploring how Psalm 127 helps answer some of those questions. And it does that by helping us see our human efforts within the wider framework of God's work. If you're a note taker, here is the bit where I tell you my three points. They are firstly that God is at work. And secondly, because God is at work, we can work and rest. And finally, because God is at work, we can work and rest and look forward to a lasting legacy. So whether you're feeling worried about the year ahead or you're ready to kick your goals in 2024, I hope this psalm has something to say to you. The first thing that Psalm 127 helps us understand is that God is at work. The opening verse of this psalm offers us, us a way of understanding God's work through human efforts. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Notice how these two lines mirror each other and repeat the same idea in different words. 
They tell us that if God is not at work, then human efforts don't mean anything. It uses the image of building a house and then of guarding a city. And it's interesting, you'll see that this psalm is attributed to King Solomon, who was responsible for building the temple, the Lord's house. So if anyone in the Bible knew about building houses, it was Solomon. Chapters five to seven of 1 Kings lays out the whole process of building that first temple, the place where God's presence would dwell on earth. We learn that the building project takes seven years and the three chapters of 1 Kings is devoted to describing it in really vivid and painstaking detail. We learn that Solomon employs 30,000 laborers from all over Israel to complete the task. So yeah, Solomon knew a thing or two about building houses. And the temple was this stunning feat of human effort and skill and wisdom and planning and countless hours of manual labor. But Psalm 127 tells us that human labor was not the only factor at play in the building of the house. God's work is intimately tied with human efforts. If human efforts are to succeed, God also needs to be at work. Notice in these verses that human action reflects God's action and that it happens simultaneously. While the builders build, God himself is building the house. While the city guards stand alert, God himself is watching over the city. Our work is not separate from God's or entirely different from God's. It happens in partnership. It's intimately connected. And it goes back to our original vocation in the Garden of Eden. We learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that God is the creator of the earth. The trees, the animals, the plants, all living things, including humans. But when God places Adam in the garden that he has made, he commissions him to work the garden, to tend to it and to cultivate it. God's design has always been for humans to work in partnership with their creator, to work together to bring flourishing and life. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram's algorithm. On the one hand, I love it because it knows exactly the kind of content that I wanna see, which is, at the moment, just dogs and babies. Um, And it just keeps it coming, right? Like, endless scroll. Um, I hate it because it knows me way too well and it can just feed me exactly what I want and I waste way too much time scrolling through videos. And the other day I saw this video uh, of an owner and her dog gardening together. You see how the dog is, is helping the owner digging holes for her to plant in? Now obviously the owner could just dig the holes herself, she's not in any way reliant on the dog, but she partners with her dog in this task presumably because it's very cute, (laughs) Um, but also she gets enjoyment from working with her dog and she knows how much her dog loves to dig. She doesn't need her dog to help, but together they're working in partnership to complete the task, even if the partnership is asymmetrical. It's a bit like how God's work and human efforts partner together. Ultimately, God's work matters most, and without it, none of our efforts would amount to anything. God never needs us, but he does invite us to partner with him in our work, in our studies, to produce life, to produce flourishing. 
He even chooses to use us to grow his church and spread the gospel. This psalm reminds us that it's God's work that ultimately matters. Grand as Solomon's temple was, if God's presence had not filled it, it would have been all for nothing. God's work matters first, and it matters most. And that brings us to our second point. Knowing that God is at work, it means that we can work and rest. While verse 1 establishes the theology of human work and God's action, verse 2 tells us why this matters. Understanding that God is at work helps us to work and rest in healthy ways. The psalmist addressed the reader, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now, maybe the psalmist has in mind the builders and the city guards in verse one when he writes this verse, but it can also apply more broadly to anyone who works. It speaks to those who are up at the crack of dawn and those who work late into the night, toiling for food to eat. Notice that the language here has moved from the more neutral word labor to the more obviously negative word toiling. This is frantic, anxious work, insomnia-inducing work, the kind where the worker thinks that if they don't do it, it's not gonna get done, where they believe it's all up to them, where work consumes their mind and their life. Another translation of this verse says that these workers eat the bread of anxious toil. Can you see the irony here? These laborers are working hard to put food on the table, but they work in such a way that when the food is there, when it's time to eat, they can't enjoy it. Rather than relishing this life-giving, nourishing food, they eat the bread of anxious toil. Rather than working to live, they live to work. I wonder if you've ever felt like this. Does work ever keep you up at night? Do you ever lose sleep over deadlines or looming exams maybe? Do thoughts of unfinished tasks fill your mind constantly? I learned that there's a word for this, career anxiety or job anxiety. According to one mental health institute, career anxiety involves feeling stressed or uneasy about work-related issues including job performance, job demands, interactions with coworkers or managers and more. Now, of course, there is a normal amount of stress or worry that can come with our work. We might work in demanding jobs that are inherently stressful. Ask anyone who works in a busy kitchen or looks after young children or any job, really, where you're dealing with complex problems or complex people. But there is a different kind of anxiety that arises when we forget that God is at work too when we feel like our security or our identity boils down to our work, when we believe that our value is found in our achievements, whether that's in our job or in our studies, when we feel like it all comes down to us and what we're able to achieve or what we're able to produce, we can push ourselves too hard. We can work ourselves to the bone 
we can sacrifice too much at the altar of our jobs or our grades. Work turns from labor into toil. It's frustrating, it's exhausting, it never ends, there is always more work to do. And so to the anxious and weary worker, this psalm offers a better way forward, an invitation to enjoy the rest, the sleep that God gives to those he loves. And this rest is possible because of what we learned in verse one. God's efforts are the foundation of all human work and so we can work and rest knowing it's not all up to us. It's a true and deep rest that comes from acknowledging that we don't keep the earth spinning. That is God's job. (laughs) From remembering that even when we rest, even while we're sleeping, God never stops working. A rest we can enjoy because we know that our ultimate worth doesn't come from our career or academic achievements, but from the creator God who made us and loves us. If the psalm exposes the problem of our career anxiety and our work-induced insomnia, here it offers the solution. Remember that God loves you and get some sleep. (laughs) That might look like clocking off at a reasonable hour, even if it means that you're the first to leave the office. It might mean bringing your worries of your work to God in prayer at the end of a long day and trusting your work anxieties to God because he cares for you. For those of us studying, it might mean starting assignments earlier than we need to so that we're not pulling all-nighters just before the deadline, or accepting that because of a limited capacity in a particular season of life, we just adjust our expectations of what grades we can achieve. It might look like intentionally building in regular rhythms of rest and recreation into each day, each week, each month and year. A recent Roy Morgan study at the end of last year showed that over 8.8 million Australians had 200 million days of annual leave due. That's a graph showing this upward trend of how much leave is due, which was up just, which is up 30% from just three years ago. Um, this is a record high number, and while some of it can be attributed to COVID lockdowns, it still points to this cultural trend of workers not taking time off that they're entitled to. So resting for you might look like actually taking your annual leave and not feeling guilty when you're not answering work emails or calls. In a more radical example, it might mean turning down a project or even a promotion because you know the extra work and stress will be too great a sacrifice even if it impacts your career progression or means foregoing extra pay. These are small and big steps and they are ways we can lean into the rest that God offers. Not because we have to, but because it's a good gift from our loving Father that we get to enjoy. It's rest that expresses our trust in God over our work and over our lives. Of course, anxious and frantic work is not the only way that we might respond to the fact that God is at work. There's a tendency to go the other way, to have a let go and let God attitude, to think that just because God is at work, 
It means I don't have to be. As I've mentioned before, this psalm belongs to King Solomon. There's other wisdom literature in the Bible that's also connected to the figure of Solomon, which praises the hard worker who rises early. Now, we can take this example in Proverbs 6. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. As this proverb says, there's wisdom in working hard, in being strategic like the ant, in making prudent decisions, and being willing to work hard and expend effort. Laziness and apathy is not what the psalmist wants to inspire. We don't just stop working because God is at work. As we've seen, work was always part of God's design for humanity. We see it right in the beginning of the storyline of the Bible in Genesis 1:28, when God blesses humans and tells them to be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It is good and it's right to harness the gifts and abilities that God has given us to be productive in the world, to use opportunities to apply our minds and our hands and our imaginations towards subduing the earth or working the garden that God has put us in, to borrow Genesis 1 and 2 language. What a blessing it is to the church and the world when God's people work hard to serve others. I thank God for the garbage collectors who pick up our bins, for the bakers who are up early in the morning to bake our bread, and the supermarket workers who stay up late to put that bread on our shelves. To mums and dads who work around the clock, changing diapers, doing school drop-offs and pickups, discipling their kids every day. To the teachers who create engaging lesson plans so our children can learn when they're in school. To our engineers who build roads and bridges, mechanics who fix cars, healthcare workers who tend to our bodies and minds. To the Bible translators who learn indigenous languages so the gospel can be shared with all people. We are served by their hard work, and we can see how God is at work in and through their efforts. So if you are a worker of any kind, paid or unpaid, know that your work matters and that God is working through your efforts. Because God is at work through human efforts, we can see the beauty and necessity of both work and rest. And finally, our third point, we can look forward to a legacy that lasts. It's interesting, did you see this? The second half of the psalm focuses on an entirely different image than the first half. It shifts the focus from buildings and cities to children and families. Verse three tells us that children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Verse four likens children to arrows in the hands of a warrior. And verse five tells us that those who have many children will not be put to shame, that they will have a good defense when facing their opponents in court. 
Now, this language can feel a little distant from our culture, and scholars have definitely pointed out this disconnect between the two halves of the psalm. What do building houses and guarding cities have to do with having lots of children? I think one word helps us connect the dots between the two images, and that is the concept of legacy. Both buildings and cities and children and families are are projects that live beyond the life of the original builder or the parent. If done well, investing in such projects, these labors of love, if you will, can have lasting impact and meaning. And while we might not think of uh, children as providing us security or a defense against enemies, I do think we can look at our families as a way of having a good standing amongst our peers as a way of achieving honor or something we can be proud of. This psalm tells us that children are inherently good, that they are a blessing from God. Verse three repeats what verse one has already taught us in other words. Children are a heritage from the Lord and offspring come from him. It's God who grants us children if he chooses to do so. Try as we might to control it, Ultimately, God is the author of life. He is the only one who can bring forth new children. This is a truth that my husband John and I have learned personally as we look forward to the birth of our first child in just a couple of months' time. Our journey to becoming parents hasn't been a simple one, and it took us almost three years to fall pregnant. These years were marked by anxiety, doubt, sadness, and loneliness. For us, it meant medical tests and fertility treatments and surgery. This might be a journey that you've personally found yourself on, or perhaps a friend or a loved one has shared their infertility struggles with you, or their experiences of loss in pregnancy or birth. Or maybe you're on a path of life where, because of singleness or a medical condition, having children is not a possibility at all which can bring its own unique and intense grief. If that is you today, I acknowledge your grief and I grieve with you. Your pain is real and valid and you are not alone. While we tried to conceive, John and I had to wrestle with the reality that God may choose not to give us a biological child. And we had to make peace with that and work that out with God. On good days, The uncertainty of this season pointed me back to the gospel and it helped me see my unfulfilled longings in the perspective of eternity. On good days, I experienced peace and I was reminded that God had already blessed me with a spiritual family and spiritual children that I could enjoy and invest in. Of course, there were also bad days, days when I struggled to accept the truth that God never promises us biological children days when seeing a pregnancy announcement on my social media feed would send me to a really dark place. I speak of these things because they affirm for me that children are a gift from God and that no amount of human effort or will or yearning can bring them about without God's life-giving work. Every day, I am in awe of this person that God is knitting together inside me. And of course, I'm doing my part. I try to eat well, I try to exercise when I can, 
I take my prenatal vitamins. I stay away from alcohol and sushi and roller coasters. Um, but I am not making the image bearer inside me. God is. I'm a thankful participant, but God is running the show. I could no more control when or if this baby started growing in me or how he grows while he's in there than I can control when or how he makes his way into the world. And that's been a really challenging truth to grapple with, especially very early on, uh, before I could feel baby's kicks or see him on an ultrasound, I was very aware that so much was out of my hands and that I had to completely depend on God. Early on in my pregnancy, a friend said something which has stuck with me since. Uh, I was sharing with her about how anxious I was feeling about pregnancy, and she told me, well, that doesn't really go away once they're out of your belly either. <laughs> she gestured towards her own daughter as she said this, and she said, you, you never really stop worrying about them. You realize so much is out of your hands, and you just have to keep trusting God that he'll keep them safe, that he'll keep growing and sustaining them. The anxiety of the worker described in verse two could easily describe the anxiety of a parent. We worry if our children are healthy. We lose sleep over whether they'll make friends in school, if they'll stay out of trouble, make wise decisions in life. We can be anxious about their relationship with God. Will they trust Jesus when life gets hard? For some of us, we'll worry if they'll ever become Christians or come back to their faith if they've wandered from it. Like building a house or guarding a city, our children and families are a project that we can only invest in with God's help. We do our part, of course. While God is at work, we are at work too. We give them a safe environment to grow up in, food to eat and clothes to wear, and education. We try to model what it looks like to love God and love neighbor. But at the end of the day, they ultimately belong to God. He is their creator and heavenly father, and it's in his hands that they are safest. So as we bring it back to this idea of legacy, what kind of legacy will stand the test of time? What kind of lasting impact can we hope to have in our lives? As Christians in Jesus, we know that our true and lasting legacy is not that we, one we can earn or build for ourselves. It's one for us on the cross. The true building we will inherit forever is not something made of stone or brick, but it is God's presence with his people forever. Even Solomon's grand construction project was only a shadow of the one to come. The true family that we belong to is not one made up of biological offspring, but the multi-ethnic, multilingual, diverse spiritual family of God's people. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers from across time and culture who we will sing praises to the Lamb with forever. This is our true family. This is our true heritage. And this is really good news because it means we don't have to anxiously work or endlessly strive to build something with our lives that will last. It means that our ultimate inheritance and reward is not something that can be measured in square feet or in dollars in our bank account or the titles next to our name or the number of articles we publish 
or even the number of children we have and how successful those children end up being by worldly standards. Our ultimate inheritance and reward is something that Jesus secures for us. And it's a richer and better reward than anything we could work towards ourselves. And so in 2024 and for the rest of our lives, we can work and rest, knowing that it's ultimately God's work in and through us that counts. It means we're liberated from having to anxiously build something for ourselves. It means that we can enjoy the gift of rest, knowing that God is in control. And it means we can look forward to a truly lasting legacy, an internal inheritance that will never disappoint, that cannot be taken away, one one that does not rot or spoil or fade. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are always at work. Thank you that you are never anxious or overwhelmed or weary, but that you are sovereign and always working. As we work and rest in our jobs, our families, our studies, help us to remember that you are at work through everything we do. Teach us to depend on you for everything and enjoy the rest you give us because you love us. Thank you for Jesus who won for us an eternal reward that we could never earn. We ask all this in his name. Amen.